Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, those are all wows over the Bethel. Those are all wows over the house of God. They don't leave much wow for God. And those wows over Bethel, they don't leave much wow for Elbethel. So what Jacob is doing here when he renames Bethel Elbethel is that Jacob is saying, stop with all the wows over the house of God and start with all the wows over God. Stop with all the wows over the buildings, the music, the pastor, and start with the wows over God. And Jacob did this just, he did this before in his last altar, the last altar he built. He's he's on a roll here, Jacob. He's in a pattern. When he was back in Shechem, that was his last altar. He gave it a similar name in Genesis 33, 20. It says, he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Yisrael. El Elohe Yisrael. El Elohe Israel. See, it's a very striking name. Why? Well, first of all, Elohe Yisrael, it already kind of emphasizes God because it means the God of Israel. El Elohe Yisrael means the God of Israel. So I just say that in the in the synagogue, Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, El Yis- El- Elohei Yisrael, the God of Israel, Elohei. But he says, no, that's not, I, I, I got to get a double emphasis here. So I mean, I'm going to call this altar El Elohei Yisrael, God, the God of Israel. It's striking because in the name of El Elohei Yisrael, it's just like Jacob is, is, is stepping out of himself. He says, God, I mean the God of Israel. See, heaven's an interesting place. Heaven's interesting. Crystal sea there, that's interesting. Walls of jewels there, that's interesting. Streets paved with gold, that's interesting. But more than that, we go on with God. The more we go on with God, the less interested we become in all those things in heaven that, and the more interested we become in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the most attractive feature for us about heaven is that Jesus, Shema, he, Jesus is there. The Lord Jesus Christ is there. That's what's happening here in the renaming of this place from Bethel to Elbethel, the renaming of the house of God to the God, the house of God. It's just like blind Fanny Crosby. She writes a song. She expresses that she doesn't really mind being blind for her time on earth because when her sight is restored, she's going to see the Lord Jesus Christ first. And that thought drives her to write this hymn, my Savior, first of all. And just think of these, these words that, he, that she writes. She's blind for all of her life. And she writes, when my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and his smile shall be the first to welcome me. 
I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye. How my full heart will praise him for the mercy, love, and grace that prepared for me a mansion in the sky. Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come. And our parting at the river, I recall. To the sweet vales of Eden, they will sing my welcome home, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. Through the gates of the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I shall mingle with delight, but I long to meet my Savior first of all. See, for Fanny Crosby, it wasn't about Bethel. It was all about Elbethel. And that's the challenge for us. Is it all about Bethel or is it all about Elbethel? For us, is it all about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ or is it about the Lord Jesus Christ? It was when we were first saved. When, when, it, it, when we were first saved, it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything was Jesus. We couldn't get enough of Jesus. He was our first love. I mean, how is it today? Is it the same? Or has there been a little leaving of the first love? I mean, that'd be a good name for a church. We should rename our church, First Love Church. All right, now, come to verse eight. Verse eight, but Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died. She was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Elon Barkut. So verse eight starts with an important word, but. If you don't have the King James, that's okay. It'll start with and or something. <laughs> Same concept, you know. But, so chapter 34, the chapter before, that's a pretty dark time in good old Jacob's life and his family. I mean, at the end of 34, all the blood all around of the Shechemites, the rebellion of his sons, withstanding him to his face who did that awful thing, the sexual defilement of his daughter, Dina, it was just a lot of darkness. It was much darkness. We can imagine Jacob at the end of chapter 34 wondering, am I ever going to be forgiven by God for all this? Can I ever be restored? So chapter 35 for Jacob was just coming out of the darkness into the sunlight. It was sunshine. See, verse 1 was the sunshine of God answering Jacob, yes, you are forgiven. You can be restored. Verse 1 was God inviting Jacob to make an altar to God and come out of the darkness to have fellowship with God. See, verse one was the sunshine of the great calling of God. See, verse two and verses two through four was the sunshine of the great cleansing where Jacob brought his family through repentance out of the darkness of idolatry. Verse five is the sunshine of the great protection of God, where God protected Jacob, protected his family from attack by sending the terror of God into the hearts of the enemies of Jacob. And verse six is the sunshine of the great arrival back to Bethel. And verse seven is the sunshine of the building of the great altar to God. I mean, everything is going so well. I mean, we're all going in the right direction finally. We're coming out of darkness. We're coming into sunshine. And then right in the middle of all this sunshine comes this bam in verse 8, but. The word but is like a wall that Jacob just and his family just hit hard. You can just hear that bam. You know, he hits the wall. And now all of a sudden, this surprise, this sadness. But Deborah, 
Rebecca's nurse died. Who? Why? Well, Rebecca was like one of the family. She was loved by the family. I mean, Deborah was Rebecca's nurse. She was a faithful nurse. She cared for Rebecca, especially as Rebecca got older and sick and evidently had already died because Deborah had joined herself to Jacob's family. She never would have done that if Rebecca was still alive. So, so here she is. She's the one. She's been the faithful one. She's, now we see her. She's loved. She's honored as one of Jacob's family, the one who took care of Jacob's mother. I mean, the name Deborah gives you a clue a little bit about her. Deborah comes from the word Debar, which means a, which means a declaration. But in its root meaning, Debar means arrangement. You know, it's a word, by the way, it's the word that describes the book of Deuteronomy. It's actually the second word in the book of Deuteronomy, Devar, Devarim, which is translated in your Bibles as words. As a matter of fact, Devarim is the, is the Hebrew name for the book of, of Deuteronomy. But Devarim has the concept of more than just words. It means words that have been specifically arranged for a purpose, declaration. So Deuteronomy is arranged words. Arranged words for what purpose? To bring us to Deuteronomy 6, chapter Chapter 6, verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words, devarim, these devarim, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, etc. So in the meaning of Deborah's name is the idea of an arranger. And that's how we picture the personal nurse of Rebecca, a person who Rebecca relied on to do all the arrangements for her. And this is why she was so loved. This is why she was so appreciated in the family. So right in the middle of Jacob's wonderful return to God comes this shock, this tragedy. Someone very near, someone very dear to him dies. God allows these events in our lives. Just in the time we're in our greatest rejoicing, to, he, he allows us. Why? Keep us clinging. Keep us focused to God. He's the source of our joy. You know, this happened in the life of Ezekiel. I mean, here was Ezekiel, one of the most successful times in his life. God started off, book of Ezekiel said, they're not going to listen to you, the people. I'm just telling you right off the bat, you'll be a failure. He tells them that in first chapters. It's a very few times, very, very rare time when the people are listening to Ezekiel. And, and so it's one of the most successful times in his life. He had the call of God, go speak to the Jewish people in the morning because the Jewish people are listening to you. And all of a sudden comes this shock and this tragedy that's described in Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 18. Ezekiel 24, 18. So I spake unto the people in the morning, and in even my wife died. And I did in the morning as I was commanded. I mean, Ezekiel's wife, he loves so tenderly. She dies. And the way that Ezekiel puts this all together in this verse here, we can see probably his wife was sick and on her deathbed that morning of the evening that she died. And Ezekiel, you could just feel the two pulls in his life. You know, the one hand, there's a pull, natural pull from Ezekiel to stay home. Your wife's sick. She's on her deathbed. Stay home already. But on the other hand, there's the pull of Ezekiel to obey God. Leave your wife that morning. Go out. Speak to the people. Now, if you were Ezekiel, what would you have done? <laughs> you better hope your wife doesn't recover or else you're going to be a big trouble. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You have your dear wife in front of you that morning who is on her deathbed. And you have the call of God to leave your wife that morning and go out and speak to the people. You don't know 
when you leave that morning that you're going to see your wife alive again when you come back, what would you have done? Stay home with your dying wife or obey God? Ezekiel left home and obeyed God. And his dying wife that morning, he obeyed God. Ezekiel emphasizes his decision that morning by the way he puts Ezekiel 24, 18. So I spake unto the people in the morning, and I did in the morning as I was commanded. And then he says in that same verse, and at even my wife died. Ezekiel was glad that he didn't put his wife before God. And God kept his wife alive till he got home so he could be with her as she left earth. Yeah, that's nice of God. And so we see in both Jacob and Ezekiel here how God allowed death to come right in the middle of blessing. Now, we see where Deborah is buried in verse 8. She was buried beneath, a, beneath Bethel. It's interesting it says that. Doesn't, I mean, she was under an oak. You know, it could have just said she was buried under an oak, but it says she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it's got this name. So we notice it doesn't say that she was buried in Bethel, and the Hebrew is there to support this as well. It says she was buried beneath Bethel. It's normally not, and that's normally how you don't describe a burial place. It's purposeful. I mean, we've just seen how important Bethel or El Bethel is in meaning that God is there. So when it says that Deborah was buried beneath Bethel, the idea is that she was buried where God is. And that's tremendously comforting to see Deborah as being buried beneath Bethel where God is. It's a tremendous benefit that we have to being redeemed. The redeemed are allowed or can commit themselves, commit their spirits into the hands of God when they die. And King David showed us this link between committing our spirits to God and being redeemed when he said in Psalm 31, 5, Psalm 31, 5, into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And we know that that redemption came with a big price from 1 Peter 1, 18. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blood, blemish, without spot. It's the great price that was paid for our redemption, the precious blood of Christ, that enables us to commit our spirits into the hands of God when we die. That's what Stephen did. When Stephen died, his last words are recorded in, in Acts 7.59, as he's being stoned to death, it says, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So we see that Deborah here, she's buried under an oak tree. The oak tree is given this name, Alon Barkut. Alon means oak, Barkut means weeping. So the tree is named the oak of weeping because there was a lot of sorrow there. There was a lot of weeping there. And from that naming of weeping, we can see how much Deborah was tenderly cherished by the family. By the name of weeping, we can see how carefully Deborah's body was buried. In the name of weeping, we can see how lovingly Deborah is going to be remembered. And from that time of weeping, we can also see how hard a time this was for Jacob. And God saw how hard it was for Jacob to lose Jacob, uh, to lose Deborah. So the next verse in verse 9 says, And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. See, verse 9 
we can see God, Jehovah Jesus, stepping in in another wonderful appearance to Jacob just to stabilize Jacob. See, there's a phrase in 2 Corinthians 2, 7, kind of describes what Jacob's a little bit in, trouble, in danger of here. It says, so that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him. This is first, 2 Corinthians 2, 7. Comfort him, lest per, per, perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. See, with the death of Deborah and all the weeping, Jacob was in danger of being swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So God lifted Jacob out of his sorrow with this new appearance and this blessing. Isn't that great of God to do that? That's wonderful. It's God, he sees us when we're in danger of being swallowed up with overmuch sorrow, and he does something very encouraging for us. You know, in the business, it hasn't been easy to go through lawsuits, let me tell you. But it's during those lawsuits that we've had some of our greatest encouragements from God, some of our greatest blessings. Now, we read what God said to Jacob when he appears to him. In verse 10, it's a little strange. He says, thy name is Jacob, as if he didn't know that. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. This is a statement that kind of really expresses God's frustration with Jacob. I mean, here God is saying, Jacob, I'm frustrated with you. Now, Jacob, Jacob, that's his name, Jacob. J- Jacob tells Jacob, that's your name, Jacob. And then God says, I don't want that to be your name anymore. That's an old name. I want you to, to, to just take on the new name, Israel. And he calls him Israel. But Jacob and Israel, they have, they have behaviors that are associated with it. There's the old behavior. That's associated with Jacob. There's the new behavior. That's associated with Israel. And God's telling, God's telling Jacob in this verse that he still has that old nature, that old Jacob nature. He already said the same thing to him in Genesis 32, 28. Genesis 32, 28, he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So what does it mean when God tells Jacob the same thing now again? I mean, Jacob had forgotten. Jacob maybe forgotten. He has a higher calling. He has a higher life, a calling to a higher life of Israel. But God didn't forget his calling, and so he reminds Jacob of his higher calling. You know, a Christian may forget his calling to have a higher life. But God never forgets the calling. And so God reminds the believer of the higher calling. So in verse 10, God is saying to Jacob that he's still acting like Jacob, and it's time for Jacob to start acting like Israel. So God's calling him for a revival in his life. Now, we should take verse 10 to heart because and really put this to practice in our lives. And throughout our lives, put ourselves to the test question. Was that Jacob or was that Israel that did that? I mean, verse 10 is a call to hold up the mirror. Hold up the mirror and do a life check because we don't want to hear God say verse 10 to us. You know, we don't want to hear God say to us, thy name is Jacob, thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name, and he called his name Israel. I mean, what does Jacob and Israel look like practically in life? Jacob connives his way through life, but Israel Trust God through life. Jacob says through life, I can. While Israel says through life, God can. Jacob worries through life while Israel rests through life. Jacob turns his eyes on his problems while Israel turns his eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jacob talks about himself while Israel talks about God. 
Jacob thinks about how he appears before men, while Israel thinks about how he appears before God. Jacob wants to please men. Israel wants to please God. See, verse 10 for us, it's a call for us to stand in front of the mirror and ask the question, is my name Jacob or Israel? Who just did that, Jacob or Israel? Who just said that, Jacob or Israel? Who just thought that, Jacob or Israel? What is my name, Jacob or Israel? God told Jacob, thy name is Jacob, thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel should be thy name. See, if our name is still Jacob, then verse 10 is greatly encouraging to us because it's what God, God said to Jacob, your name should not be called anymore Jacob. Well, what can we do if our name is still Jacob? God tells us that we can do is that, verse 10, the words are not anymore, not anymore Jacob. And he called his name Israel. You know, there's got to be a time in life for a Christian when Jacob stops. There's got to be a time when, when, when he hears God saying, not anymore, Jacob. Now is the time, is what God's saying. A Christian may have been behaving just like Jacob, but when God says in verse 10, not anymore, Jacob, but Israel should be thy name, so encouraging. So encouraging to us when it says he called his name Israel. You know, it, because even though Jacob was really bad and he was acting like Jacob, God called his name Israel. And, and he looks at the past sins of Jacob and he puts them all behind his back. God does that. And he calls his name Israel in verse 10. Just like Isaiah said happened to him. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, Isaiah 38, verse 17. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. When God called Jacob by his new name of Israel, which Jacob, that was for, he was doing for Jacob, he was like setting a vision for Jacob. He was saying, look, Jacob, you are Israel. I'm gonna call you Israel. Your name's Jacob, but now I'm calling you Israel. And we can imagine Jacob saying, who, me? (laughs) And that's the same what God did for Gideon. You know, there was Gideon in Judges 6.11, Judges 6.11, and there came an angel of the Lord, sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah that pertained to Joash the Abrazite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Can you picture that? The Midianites are stealing all their grain. So, you know, oh, well, what's that in your pouch there, Gideon? Oh, just grapes. I'm going to go grind and make some wine, you know, through grain, hiding there, threshing it, hiding under the wine press, you know, so the Midianites don't find it. He's a coward. And it says in verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon says, Who are you talking about? (laughs) Me? (laughs) Thou mighty man of valor? I mean, you know, that's again, this is again the idea. Our God, he forgives our past sins. He encourages us to stop the sinning, and he sees for us what we should become and not what we have been. That's a great God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so great. Thank you for being so encouraging. Thank you for being so forgiving. Thank you, Lord, for being so directing to us and so tolerant until we turn, Lord, from our what causes us misery. Thank you for doing that for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 